Okay. Welcome, everyone, to the 21st episode of the Book Exchange Podcast and the second episode of 2021. And we're excited to be back. As always, this is John recording in Maryland. Got my brother Jude with me, I hope. Jude, are you there? I hope you are because you are a featured player in this episode. How's it going? Uh, Jude has left the building. No, <laughs> just kidding. Jude is here. Uh, going pretty good. Nice to be on with you again. All right, great. Well, today's episode is something of a celebration. That's how we're billing it anyway. And it's also, well, it's a little bit of an event, actually. So what we're celebrating today on episode 21 of the Book Exchange podcast is the short story as a form of fiction as something to be read and enjoyed and savored. And we're going to go about that in an interesting way because it ha just so happens, wink, wink, to correspond with the release of a brand new book from one of your humble co-hosts here. That would be Jude. He is, Jude is a writer. For those of you who listen to this show regularly, you know that. He's been a, a fiction and nonfiction writer for many years. And he has just released a brand new uh, collection, really, sort of an omnibus almost, of uh, short fiction, which we're going to talk about. And it's brand new, so we're going to use this episode as a little bit of a launching pad for that. And um, because it's kind of a unique, uh, you know, hybrid here that you have a podcast of featuring two readers talking about reading short fiction, but also one of them happens to write it and happens to be releasing a new book. So we're going to talk to Jude about that about his new project, the new book, and what went into it. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to dovetail nicely into a, just a discussion about reading short fiction, uh, why it continues to hang around, why we enjoy it, uh, why we think it's worthwhile and valuable. So it's a little bit of a two-part celebration of the short story where we uh, first all talk to Jude about his new book, and we'll dig into that, and then we'll talk a little bit broader and talk about some of our favorite short fiction writers and you know maybe uh some examples of short stories that we just are just very memorable to us and that we would recommend so it's kind of a mishmash bit of a booyah base of an episode here but it's all about short fiction and i think it's going to be it's something that we've teased in the past before i think it's going to be a lot of fun and there's certainly a lot of rich ground to be covered so jude i hope you are excited because uh you're or i don't know if excited is a word or or nervous or, or what, but you're going to be on the hot seat a little bit. Um, but I know, I know I'm excited about the new book that you're just putting out. Of course, I've already read it, prepared to ask you some questions about it. So yeah, that's, that's the story for this episode. And uh, do you want to make any comments about this episode since you're one of the featured players here? Yeah, good setup, John. Uh, yeah, just a couple. I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I just, first of all, thank you, uh, John, personally for allowing us to do this episode, um, you know, and talk a little bit about my book during the episode. I appreciate that. I have to admit I was reluctant to do this in a way because, um, you know, it feels a little self-congratulatory. But, you know, I have to say, like, you know, as I get older, um, and this is a lifelong process, we certainly don't need to get into the psychology, but, it's, you know, I'm learning – I guess I would say I'm learning not to apologize for things that I kind of throw out into the world and sort of believe in, 
you know, and that's kind of a lifelong foible of mine of I sort of apologize for everything. And um, it, the fact of the matter is, you know, I'm excited about the stories in the book that I wrote and I believe in them a lot. And I put a lot of work into all of them. And when you write short fiction and we're going to get into short fiction as a theme, as you eloquently explained, when you write short fiction or any fiction or any writing, unless it's personal journaling or, you know, for your own development, you don't do it in a vacuum. You know, you don't, you don't do it for nobody to read. That's right. So I, I thought, you know, since we have this podcast and we can do what we want and we discussed it, at, you know, several times, you know, it might be a good way to just say the book is out there, launch it, maybe interest some, some people in reading the stories. But then the, the notion of broadening it out and discussing the short story form in general, that's a rich discussion. And one thing I'm really excited about related to both topics, like my book and the, the broader discussion is that, as you said, you know, one of the co-hosts here both writes and reads and one reads only and doesn't write short fiction and reads very well. So it's going to be cool to get those twin, not, you know, pun intended twin perspectives on the craft. So I'm excited. It feels a little strange, but let's just do it. Yeah. And it's, I, I hear you. It's not strange on my end because I, as the person who did not write this, this brand new book of fiction, you know, and has only read it and enjoyed it, I can say that you know, I'm excited to talk about it. And then, I, you know, it, it it belongs in this discussion, just talking about short fiction. And um, so we're going to get into it here. We're going to get into all that real soon. But before we start, I forgot to mention one thing. The the introductory music this time around, I want to make sure I mention that. That is a brand new single uh, from a young uh, singer-songwriter, indie artist uh, that happens to share the same last name as myself, that, that uh, of course, was my, my son's latest single. He just released, talk about new releases. Uh, Caleb Lovell, he just put out a brand new single. He, he performs under the moniker of Young Wolf. And that's a song called Chesapeake Winds that he just released last week. I, matter of fact, I, I, don't, I don't think you guys think this up at all, but you released your new projects within uh, a day or two of each other, which is pretty cool. So we just wanted yeah. to you know, feature that and, and throw out a little plug for that. Um, you can find that track as well as his other music on most streaming platforms. Um, he's uh, especially at Bandcamp. He's um, I believe it's young, young wolf seven at bandcamp.com. That's how you can find him on Bandcamp. You can find him under the name young wolf on Spotify as well and Apple music and their other other tracks. So if you like what you heard there, you can go and uh, download or stream, and listen to that whole song. And we appreciate him letting us uh, use it as our intro music. I did ask permission. He's also the guy who does the music for our little instrumental um, breaks here as well on this show. So many yeah. thanks Wolf for that, for that new tune. Hope some of you will go out and check it out. Yeah, John, just really quick. Uh... I'm really proud of Young Wolf and that new song. It's that's a really great song. You must be very proud as his father. But I, it's an honor that he enriches our podcast with some of these interludes and uh, that song you were hearing there. And uh, that's a really wonderful song. He's really be really developing the ability to express what I think he wants people to feel through both his lyrics and his music. So it's a it's a wonderful song. I recommend everybody check it out. Well, thanks a lot for that, man. Um, 
All right. So why don't we, uh, we always start every episode, really, after we get through the preliminaries there. Uh, we talk about what we've been reading lately or what we're in the middle of reading now. So hopefully you're prepared for that, or uh, maybe it just blends into what we're dealing with in this episode. But do you want to, do you have a book you want to mention that you're currently reading, Jude? Yeah, sure. I'm just finishing a book. It's a, I'm just finishing a twofer by one of my favorite writers right now. I'm, I'm really high on this writer. I mentioned him before. He's from Ireland. His name is Kevin Barry. And um, I got out of the library recently his most recent novel. It's called Night Boat to Tangier. And I just ripped through that like in the last several days. And then I was uh, sort of concurrently, I was asked by the magazine I write for, Silver Sage Magazine, to review some newer books, either books that are brand new or forthcoming. And so I was looking into that and I knew that he had just released a, a brand new volume of short stories, his third. This came out this week. So I actually sprung for it and bought it. It's called That Old Country Music. And I'm finishing it up now. And it's also one of both books were phenomenal. And I'm going to be writing a review of, the, of um, That Old Country Music for the magazine. So I won't talk too much about it there, but Kevin Barry is a, I, th I think the way you put it to me, he's a real painter with words and he's, boy, he, he is just a, uh, a magical writer and both the novel form, but also as a short story writer. So he may come up again. So anyway, I'm finishing up that old country music. How about you? Well, that's awesome. Um, and I'm excited to, to read what you might write about Kevin Barry for the magazine, because um, you, you, this is a, yet another writer like Tim Wynn we mentioned we talked about in our last episode that you introduced me to uh, and I've read, I think three of his books and I, you know, I concur. He's a, he's a wonderful writer and um, gosh, night boat to Tangier. Can you think of a more evocative title right now than that? I mean, that just, <laughs> just almost immediately sets some kind of strange and alluring mood, you know? Um, Absolutely. He, <laughs> yeah. He, he's that guy's the real thing for sure. So I'll be, I'll be interested to hear you know, more about what you have to say about both books. Well, I'm reading, I've been reading a lot of short stories in preparation for this discussion, which we're going to get into later on in the show. So I don't, I don't need to review specifically what I've been reading now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of reread a number of my favorite collections of short fiction, but then, you know, I, I wanted to, it had been a while and for me a while means three or four books that it had been a while since I had read just kind of a, a good novel. So I was looking for kind of a quick novel to read something that would be really kind of different for me, you know, just a real curveball like we talk about a lot. Um, so I grabbed this off my shelf. As you know, I, you know, we've talked about it before uh, New York review of books press. They put out a lot of interesting books from around the world. Um, and so I grabbed one of those books, and this is uh, so this this book comes from the the Austrian novelist named Peter Hanke or Han Hanka. I'm not sure exactly how to say that, um, mm. but you'll recognize that name because he was uh, I think he was the co Nobel laureate in 2018, along with a uh, woman from Poland. Right, um, I'm sure you remember that. So this is the only I've never read him. I, I have one book by him, and it. it I just got it kind of on a whim and because it's from the NYRB press and I thought it sounded really interesting. So I just started it. You know, I don't think you and I have ever discussed The book is called short letter, long farewell. Um, wow. 
So I'll just give you the description. It goes like this on the back of the book. Short letter, long farewell is one of the most inventive and exhilarating of the great Peter Hanke's novels. Full of seedy noir atmospherics and boasting an air of generalized delirium. The book starts by introducing us to a nameless German who has just arrived in America where he hopes to get over the collapse of his marriage. No sooner has he arrived, however, than he discovers that his ex-wife is pursuing him. He flees, she follows, and soon the couple is running circles around each other across the length of America, from Philadelphia to St. Louis to the Arizona desert and from Portland, Oregon to LA. Is it love or vengeance that they want from each other? Everything's spectacularly unclear in a book that is travelogue, suspense story, domestic comedy, and Western showdown with a totally unexpected Hollywood twist at the end. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'll just say this, like, you know, I'm about, I'm actually about a, almost a third of the way through it all, all already. And I'll say, so far, I'll say this, spectacularly unclear is an apt description. Because <laughs> I, I really don't know what the hell this guy's doing and what's really going on, except that he's wandering around different parts of, on the East Coast of America right now. So I don't know what else, much more to say than that. It's my first time, you know, experimenting with this particular writer. I guess he's been acclaimed in Europe for quite some time. But as you and I have discussed, you know, we, well, we took a whole episode to discuss Nobel laureates and, you know, Sometimes they make some odd or idiosyncratic choices. We'll see about this book, but I wanted to try something different, and I guess I got it. <laughs> yeah, well, we had an whole episode discussing wild and woolly books as well, so that that that, that book sounds like it might have fit into that one also. But uh, yeah, John, no guts, no glory, man. Uh, yeah. That sounds really wild. I'll be interested to hear how you know whether you think that book is some kind of success or not. You know? Yeah, we'll see. And who am I to make that judgment? But I am a reader, and that's what this podcast is all about. So that's what we do here. We talk about reading, and we make judgments for better or for worse. So speaking of pronouncing judgments, we're going to take a little break here, Jude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at the time. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. No judgment, but we're going we're gonna to dig into your new book and talk about it and uh, – uh, see what went into the making of your collection of short stories entitled Door in the Air. So that's coming up next. Cool. All right. So, Jude, um, this book, this story collection of yours called Door in the Air, which is, we should say, kind of subtitle in quotes, um, new, I think it's new and selected stories, 1999 to 2020. Do I have that correct? You do. Yeah. Okay. So this is, like I said, it's a bit of an omnibus 
edition in a way. So you've decided to, uh, you've written two previous collections of short stories. I think they've come up once or twice on the podcast, but those are called, the first collect, your debut short story collection was called, We'll See You When We Get There. And then you had, you followed that up with a second, not immediately, but you had a second um, collection that came out, oh, almost, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, um, I believe. And that was called Crowning. So right. what, what this new book does is it, it, it chooses, you chose some of the books from both of those previous uh, short story collections to include in this one. And one would presume they're among your favorites, but we'll get into that, you know, how that selection process happened. And then, and this will set up my first question um, for you uh, all along, I guess, in between, you know, every once in a while you, you, you go back to the form. You'll, you'll find yourself writing a short story here and there, and maybe you'll put it aside or maybe you try to get it published somewhere. Maybe you'll write it for Silver Sage magazine, uh, whatever. But it, there seems to be, it seems to be a form that you uh, tend to gravitate back to with some regularity. So you had been doing that. And I, I think it was, was it six new short stories that you had accumulated? Because, you know, they don't just pop out in 30 seconds, obviously. You put a lot of work into them. And, and uh, so, you know, it, it's not like you're cranking out a new one every week. Um, right. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. And it may be, you know, may, obviously some writers maybe work on them more quickly. But for you, I know it's the, the birthing of a short story. I don't know if struggle is the right word, but it's a process, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is. So you had six, I believe, that were new ones that you felt good enough about that you wanted to release them in some form. So you added that those to this collection. So let's 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 uh, you know this is going to be a all these questions are going to be pretty broad, but that's that's by design. So you can take them wherever you want. But let's talk a little bit about you know just putting this book together. I want to dig into you know why you felt the motivation to kind of collect a bunch of your older stories and, and add them to the new ones and create this sort of omnibus edition. And then a second, a second question in there that was implied with some of my comments is, is what, what is it that keeps you coming back to the short story form as a writer? You know, uh, mm -hmm. what is the, what is the, what, what, what's the compelling, you know, kind of motivation behind that and what keeps you doing it? So there's a lot to unpack there. I don't know how you want to tackle it, but I'll, you know, I'll kick it over to you and you can begin. Well, I guess, I guess I'll take them one at a time. So the, the idea of doing like a, a new collection with some previous stories and, and new stories kind of took me by surprise a little bit. Um, Cause I, that's not something I planned on doing, but I should mention to be anybody listening, like, you know, my stories are not, my books are not published by a major publisher. I publish them independently by myself through a self-publishing service. So I, I should say that because I'm not, I'm not working, you know, with professional editors. I'm, it's all DIY. And uh, I say that, you know, with some degree of humility, but also, but as I said earlier, I, I still believe in the product. I think they're, I think they're good books, you know, or I, w or I would not put my name on them, but they're not released by major publishing houses. So, you know, the notion of doing a collection of stories isn't going to come from somebody working at the publishing house. Right. Um, that person doesn't exist. That person is me. 
But um, so I was sort of uh, for me, I guess I was sort of picking up steam on writing short stories in the last couple of years, which means I'd written like three or four, you know, and I thought, well, I'm sort of on my way to a new collection of short stories. And I always thought I would just kind of wait until I had, you know, enough of them accumulated into a third collection. But they were coming slowly. And I also knew that I had some other ideas that are maybe a little bit larger in scope that I really wanted to get to and, and felt challenged to try, one of which I put a lot of time into and then ended up tabling it, an idea for a book I had, a nonfiction book. But um, the stories, even though short stories to me in general, we'll talk about it, they're very difficult to write. They come to me very hard. <laughs> um, but the ones I had written, I felt good about. And then I realized that also in the interim, since I put out the first two collections, first of all, probably not a lot of people had read them. And I, I knew that. And that's fine. So I thought I wouldn't be, you know, treading on my own shoes too much. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that the, the, the service that I use had just changed formats and they had sort of a sort of a 2.0 version of the, you know, the software or whatever it takes to, you know, put together the book and package it and design it and edit it and all that business. And so I thought, well, I could put out sort of a fresher version of some of the stories I put out earlier when I was, you know, a little bit less adept at doing the editing and design and all that. And I say that I'm not very good at any of those things, but I do the best I can. So I just thought might be cool. I, I believe in the new stories I've written don't have enough for a new collection but I can put out a new book and I can edit the old ones and tighten it up. And when I started doing that, John, I kind of got excited because I had 16, 17, 18, I, I cut out a couple of them stories that I, I really believed in. And I thought, and also the clock came around and we turned 50 years old. Yeah. And I thought, well, let me just catalog my work so far in short fiction in a nice new edition that I sort of believe in. And that's what led to it. So that's, that's how we got to the, the newer collection to door in the air. Um, nice. And then your second question was what, see, I'm already blanking. No, well, this, I'll make a comment about what you just said, and then we'll get to the second question in, in a second. Sure. And the comment I'm just going to make is that, you know, so you, you gave me that just before you released it, uh, you gave me the kind of galley proofs of the new collection door in the air to kind of read through. And I I've, I've read all the stories. Well, actually I hadn't read two of the newer ones, but you know, um, you tend to use me as a sounding board and a little bit of an editor. And, you know, so I've, I've read a lot of your stories in the past, some of them multiple times. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I had a copy of the book and I was reading through it and making some comments and stuff, but I noticed that, um, and this maybe gets a little personal, but who cares, you know, knowing you the way that I do, you know, the, the dedication in particular was to all, all your children. And it was something to the effect of, you know, this is the best that I've got so far. So I think it sounded to me, and I, I know this about you in general, but there was all maybe a little bit of a personal motivation there too to kind of collect some of your quote-unquote best work together and just you know as you just said you know just kind of as I you know reach a midpoint of my life or reach the age of 50 
you know, this represents some of the best short work that I've done. And uh, you kind of want to, you know, preserve that, you know, for your, for your children, number one. And, and at the, at the same time, you know, offer it to readers and say, you know, this is what I got at this point in my writing life. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think that was working on there too. I wanted a kind of a, a handsome book or as handsome as I could make it. I think I achieved that. I think it's a nice book. And I wanted something that could, that I could leave behind me. And, you know, I'm not trying to get maudlin, but you turn 50 and you realize life is short. And I thought, well, I've done this work. I believe in the work and let me put it together in a nice edition. And I'm going to dedicate it to my family. And someday, whenever that is, I'll be gone. And this work will be here for whatever it's worth, you know? So that, that was part of it also. You're right. Yeah. And I think I, I agree. I think the, the, the volume that you put together and, and the contents therein, you know, it really, it, it really does achieve what you hope to set out. Um, and this is coming again from someone who has read almost everything that you put out, whether it's short fiction. Long yeah, fiction. And I just, I just want to interrupt you, John, just for a brief second. When John, I'd like to tell the listeners, cause I want them to understand this. When John said that he's rest, read most of the work that I've done, John has read all of the work that I've done since I started writing uh, for real and that's about 30 years. So he's a big part of it. He always gets mentioned at the back of my books, he gets mentioned this time. So just, I want that in there, John. So uh, sorry, but keep going. <laughs> oh, thanks for that. Although if you're going to go there, you should, you, you know, you have to, you got, you got to go all the way. You've been torturing me for well beyond 30 years <laughs> because I mean, I read the story about the basketball, playing basketball with the angels too. <laughs> oh no <laughs> we're going way back folks yeah john's read some of the, the biggest stinkers that anyone's ever written that's for sure you know so <laughs> well I've, I've sort of been riding shotgun through this whole thing as your, your journey as, as a writer and that's part of what's exciting about the whole thing because you know uh just like we were saying with my son's song where you can hear you know obviously there's a little bit of bias in both of these cases coming from me but I think it's I think it's safe to say you can hear progression as a songwriter when you listen to, you know, the song Chesapeake wins compared to other stuff that he's written before. And the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's, that's great that you think so too. And the same thing with this, with this book, I mean, it, it, even within the book and we can get into this maybe a little later, but you can see sort of a progression. You can tell some of the stories were had been written by a younger man and, some of the stories also reflect, you know, more of a mature point of view and that's just inevitable, you know, but it, that's kind of interesting to see too, as you go through the, I mean, this is a fairly long collection too. This is like, uh, you know, between 350 and 400 pages. Um, I think, is that right? Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's a little over 400. It's the, it's the biggest book I've put out so far. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it, people shouldn't be intimidated by that length because it's, you know, and, and we'll talk about this when we talk about short stories in general, you know, they're very digestible pieces, you know, they're just, some of those stories are quite short. So you can read through them however you want. You don't have to sit there and read through all 400 pages, but let's get back to my, 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 my second question that I threw out you uh, threw at you there was about the short story form and what, we're going to talk in the second half of the show about what draws you as a reader. Right now, I'd like to talk to you about what draws you to the form as a writer. And the way I would put it is, so you do a lot of different types of writing, but what, 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 what type of itch does writing the short story scratch that the other forms of writing, whether they be working on a novel or 
or nonfiction writing just just doesn't scratch. You know what? It, maybe I don't know if that that met, that metaphor may be awkward, but you know what I'm getting at. You know what is it about that form that keeps you coming back to it? Oh yeah, it's, it's, uh, short stories are really strange for me because uh, they I, I come into them kind of reluctantly. You know, like I, I find the form very hard, you know, even more so than writing a novel. Writing a novel is a really hard thing to do. But when when you're writing a novel, you feel like, you know, unless you're unless you're trying to limit the pages to a certain specific number of pages, you know, it's a little bit open ended. And a short story is, too. And you have to be open to wherever it's going to go, you know. But but um, when you're working or you have the notion to work in that format, you know, Time is a little short, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, um, I've struggled with that. I mean, anybody who's read emails from me or letters or anything knows that I, you know, writing succinctly is not something I do really well. Or listen unless to this I program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think you and I, John, it's both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both get kind of cracked on for that, and it's there and it's real. You know, I mean, I think both of us have a little bit of the Irish, you know, gift of gab in us somewhere from somewhere in our background. But um, yeah. But, you know, to, to where they come from, like I, I started trying to write them early as a young man, because, you know, that's kind of what you do when you're trying to figure out how to write. And um, so I'm talking about the early 90s. And I thought, you know, this is how you learn the craft sort of, you know. I didn't even read that many short stories when I started attempting to write them, but I found out very quickly that they came, they were not easy to write. And that didn't make me feel the most enamored to writing them. Um, and I, when I say I, they came at me hard, I mean, I started trying to write stories in like 1990 and I think it was like three or four years of trying to write them before I even finished one you know, in like the length of a short story, you know, I thought, well, I can just, I can start a story. I can end it. <laughs> That's not how it worked out to me, you know? And then, so, you know, and then uh, uh, about 10 years into it, into writing. So I've been writing about 30 years, about 10 years into writing. I was very serious about going to an MFA program and getting into a workshop and what you workshopped in an MFA program with short stories. And to get into the to get get into the programs, we had to share stories we had. And I remember around the year 1998 or so, I had none, you know, that I thought I could submit. So the fire was sort of lit under me because I wanted to go to a program. I had to come up with some stories. So I wrote like three or four stories, none of which I would really stand behind now. Except for, well, maybe one of them. <laughs> I was going to um Go ahead. I was going to ask if any of them survive, you know, in any form, any of those early stories they used to try to get into school. No, well, I mean, I still have them, you know, but there was only one that, that I would, that I thought was kind of successful that I could say am I now. That one, remember American Soldiers was the name of, the, of one of my early stories. Yeah. Um, and that was, I was trying to process some of my military experience, which was kind of a stepping stone towards my first novel, but that's a totally different topic. But uh, anyway, um, it evolved. So it started as something, you know, I'll try to wrap it up. It started as something that you kind of do when you're trying to learn to write, right? And then I started 
by getting into grad school, trying to write some myself, I started to get more interested in reading them. I started reading a lot of them. That helped me to want to write them also. I still found it very difficult. And then as I continued to evolve as a writer, um, nowadays, I would say in the last 10 years, they would more begin from something that I, f- I feel an interest in for some reason or another. Something I either heard about or read about or, you know, a memory pops into my head and I become interested in it. And then I start to look into it deeper and I begin to write about it. And these days when I write a new piece of fiction, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a story or if it's going to grow into a novel. And so I just try to kind of build on whatever it is I was interested in and see if I can start writing about it and see where it goes. Well, that's great. I'm glad you said that. Let me, let, let me jump on that a little bit. Cause that'll get us into, I'd like to at least discuss a couple of the stories, maybe not at length, but at least bring them up. I, I, I definitely want uh, our listeners to get a feel for the great diversity in this collection, which is, I'm going to come back to in a minute, but um, you talked about how sometimes it's, you know, there's just something that captures your interest in some way and you want to dig a little deeper. And one way to do that is to kind of, build a story around it and the one of the classic examples of that from this from this collection would be and this is one of the new stories and uh, it's a story called trouble low and in if you don't mind Mm -hmm. i'll just talk about that briefly and was going to ask you about it but um yeah sure well so you mentioned something will capture your interest and you want to dig deeper into it and and just having talked to you about it um, and the first time I read that story was actually reading this new collection. Um, that came from a just something like sort of a fragment of a memory that you had. Uh, you were doing some research for for a novel that you've talked about before that uh, is based on the life of uh, our dad's parents. And you were right. kind of working on that. And you were in that headspace. And then you had this. I don't know how the memory came to you, but you had this memory of our dad mentioning that um, when he was very young, his dad would take him to see uh, Negro league baseball. And you mentioned on this podcast earlier, people who listen might remember uh, that kind of brought you into reading a book about Negro league baseball, which you've talked about in past episodes. Right. That's right. You to reading a book about the great Negro league pitcher, the great pitcher in general, Satchel Paige. So, correct. you know, that, that and all of that led to, I guess, just, you know, lit a fire in you somewhere in terms of your interest that you wanted to try to dig into that a little bit. And so what you were just saying, like, sometimes writing a story is a way for you to do that. And all of that led to this story called Trouble Low and In. Uh, do you want to talk just briefly about that story? Because that was that was one of the to me, one of the most interesting uh, stories in the collection and uh, sort of unexpected, really. It's like not something you've written about before. So you, maybe you could talk just briefly about how that, how that happened and, and what it was like putting that together. Sure. Well, thank you for what you said about it. Yeah. That. So as I get further on, you know, and as I think this happens with all fiction writers, you get a little bit more experience and you start to recognize some of those itches that you were talking about earlier. So like, a subject will come up and it comes up in a variety of different ways, but you start to recognize a topic that's starting to get underneath your skin. And for a fiction writer, the way to get that out is to, to write something. So in the case of Trouble Low and In, 
you're exactly right. I was trying to get back into the headspace of my father's childhood. You know what I knew about it and his parents' lives because of a novel that I'm working on now. You know, and I was starting to do some research around it. And it, John, it was just one of these things. Or one day, just getting back, I was reading over notes and I was thinking over, you know, uh, our dad's life. And you know, this is not hard to do that because you know, out <laughs> of nostalgia or whatever, because we lost him, etc. And a, a memory just popped into my head about him telling me uh, about his dad taking him to see. Negro League Baseball. And I remember him saying, I can hear his voice in my head, see the Negro Leagues. And I, it just like, it took me by surprise. And I thought, man, what, what, what must that have been like? And at the same time, John, I wanted to get, you know, to use a baseball sort of cliche, I wanted to start warming up my arm a little. And I thought, you know, to get back into historical fiction writing. Well, when that memory came back into my head, um, the third factor that it was that I was missing sports because of the global pandemic. And I had been watching baseball games, which I don't do a lot of, you know, because there was nothing else on. And I was starting to enjoy it more than I have in the past. So with many of the most recent short stories I've written, it'll be like kind of a, a you know, the cliche is a perfect storm. You know, three or four systems will come together. In this case, it was I wanted to get back into historical writing. This memory popped up out of nowhere, which I thought was compelling. And I was getting back into baseball. And I thought, and I did, as I said in the introduction in my book, I did what writers do. So I just said, let me hit the books. Let me start reading about the Negro Leagues. And so I got that book about the, um, the oral history of the Negro Leagues. And Satchel Page was one of the players that really jumped out at me from that book and i thought man i i have no business doing it but man it would be interesting if i tried to write a story with satchel page in it and i also thought it might have been possible that our dad saw satchel page pitch mm -hmm. so this was very interesting to me so that led me to his autobiography and his autobiography was like colorful and it was like you know it really made my nerve ends kind of tingle because i thought man this guy is like too much or was too much you know <laughs> It would be really interesting, but I knew I couldn't write from his point of view, but I thought, what if I sort of created a character and gave him the opportunity to play baseball either with or against Satchel Page, and that's where it came out of. That's what I ended up doing. Yeah, that that's that's really cool. It's just it's, it's really interesting to, to hear, you know, writers talk about where the short stories come from, you know, whether it's you or whether it's um, anyone else, you know, because they – it's, it's a mystery how these things kind of pull together sometimes. And, yeah, very much. Well, and I'd like, I, I'll use that as a springboard. You know, we could go on for the rest of the episode for a long time, just about your story collection. But like I said, I, you know, one of the things I, as someone who's, who's read the book really want to comment on and was very impressed. I mean, the diversity in the collection is, is remarkable. And, and by that, I mean, just different, genres and different types of stories and i think i mean this is not like something that hasn't been said before and i i know this about you just just from knowing about you as a writer but one of the so things that the short story format form allows you to do is to experiment you know and, and try try different um try on different shoes if you will or or, or yeah you know and like uh try on science fiction try on 
you know, the horror genre, try on historical fiction. And I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that's, that's maybe part of what makes it such a compelling way of writing because you're not committing to, you know, you don't sit down and say, uh, well, maybe some people do, but you know, instead of saying, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and write a 500, you know, 500 page horror novel that, you know, stands right up there next to the stand or the shot, you know, <laughs> and then get about 30 pages in and realize you have no idea where it's going. It's kind of like, you know, biting off a more manageable piece that you might be able to chew on. But then, you know, again, talking about short stories in general, and I don't want to put words in your mouth again, but, you know, it just seems to me that there's something about, you know, the concision of it, you know, the challenge of trying to, and this goes across, you know, all different types of art and media, you know, like, like, um, try to, if you're a filmmaker, try to make a, a, a short movie that scares somebody in four or five minutes, you know, you got to strip out yeah. a, a lot of stuff to make that happen and make it right. Happen. Right. Or it, let's say you write poetry, you know, the, the, the genius of Japanese haiku is that they can touch on something profound in about 20 syllables. You know, there's something yeah. about that challenge. And, um, but what, one of the things that makes your collection just so much fun is that, you know, they have all these different, you know, you're just immersed in all these different types of writing. I mean, uh, let's talk about that a little. You have, you know, there are a couple of these stories, you know, touch on, you know, either have a Gothic flavor or touch on horror elements. You know, they're not, you know, flat out shockers, but there are a couple of the stories that get a little dark and a little eerie, you know, or uncanny. Mm -hmm. And there's a story about football, playing college football. Uh, there's a story about a nurse who works in Africa and uh, tends to, um, young babies in an orphanage in, in Ghana, Africa. And uh, then the, there's an ingenious story, uh, which is uh, you basically created, you, this it took a lot of guts to do this. You took, took a beloved film from the 1980s, which would be Peter Weir's Witness. And you created, a, you invented a whole sequel to it. And then in a, in a really unique twist, you, the story is kind of the journal of the person who's a fictional character who's, you know, in the middle of producing this Witness 2, this, you know, the sequel to this beloved 80s movie. And I, I got to say, it turns out to be, I've said this to you many times, but the description of the sequel that ultimately was doomed, didn't get made, is a movie I really want to see, you know. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it really worked, but what I, can you talk a little bit, and then we'll, we're going to have to wrap it up, but can you talk a little bit about from your perspective, the diversity in the collection and, and, you know, in both in terms of genre in terms of like things you might've written about as a younger person and maybe writing about now that you have, you know, a little bit more water has flowed under the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think earlier in life and maybe it's like this for a lot of writers, I don't want to say everybody cause there's some really talented writers who, came out right from the beginning and didn't do this at all. But for a lot of writers, you know, your, your scope is fairly limited. You know, there's always that cliched advice by writing about what, you know, but in, and, and I did that. And most, and a lot of writers do that early on in their career. I, I would say that in general, I wrote more about things that were of pressing concern to me 
or um, that were bothering me or, you know, stuck with me or whatever from my own life experience. But as time goes on and you, especially when you read more diverse work from other writers in other countries, you start to get sort of bored with that notion. And then for me, I also started to do a little bit of what I told you before, whereas I recognized something becoming sort of bothersome to me in a way, like an idea would get inside me like a stinger, John. And yeah, I'd be, I'd be into it and I'd be reading about it. And this feeling would grow. And it, it does to this day, this feeling starts growing and you say, I gotta, I gotta write something about this. I have to try, you know? And that's what led to stories like uh, from the set of witness Two, and uh, the story set in Ghana, Africa, which is called the beauty and the broken bones. And Door in the Air, for example, even though that's a later story, that's a primary example. Um, I just started reading some articles about female veterans. And I, I literally started thinking in a way that I never think, just by the nature of who I am, I thought. And then around somewhere around the same time, I saw the cover of a Sports Illustrated. And this is just an example of what you're asking me about. Sports Illustrated put out a, their, I think they're, no, it was like called the body issue, whatever that means. Yeah. And it's usually filled with kind of provocative pictures of, you know, really, you know, in shape people half naked or whatever. Right. And the cover, the cover though, was like a, a, a woman, a naked woman who had lost one of her legs in Iraq and she was climbing a mountain. She was like a mountain climber. And the woman was like stunning, but she was missing a whole a, a leg as she was climbing this mountain. She didn't have any clothes on. Now I and I'm not going to comment about the about that, but that combined with some articles I had read recently about wounded female vets, I was very interested in that because I thought, you know, obviously this is like completely unprecedented in our history. You know, there have been a lot of female veterans, and there have been a lot of wounded female veterans, but in the most recent wars, you know, they were going into combat type roles and like losing limbs and stuff. Yeah. And when I saw that picture of that woman and how beautiful she was, frankly, I thought, what would it be like to just be female and to lose part of your body and then come back to the rest of the world and survive it and then try to maintain your sense of whatever your personal feeling of femininity is. Mm. And John, you know, I mean, <laughs> no one is less qualified to write about femininity than yours truly, you know, <laughs> but it was just the kind of thing that made me interested. And then I started reading about female vets and then I got really lucky because the Library of Congress has these recordings of women who have been injured or lost limbs in war. Both, and they talk about their mental and their physical struggles and I, once I went down that rabbit hole, it was just so interesting to read them. And I thought, well, I got to try this, you know, see if I can write about a woman who's coming back and trying to get a grip on her life again and be a woman again, you know? So that, that was my attempt at that in that story. But it was so later in life, just to wrap up, like, you know, to, uh, you know, you become interested in things and you, you just decide, you know, there's this feeling you get. With Witness 2, it was, I, I start I re-seen re the movie Witness, and I was reading these books about film directing, and I had read one book about these conversations with Martin Scorsese about talking about how his films were made, and I thought, man, what would it be like to, you know, be a director? And that story came out of that process. So, like, but 
when you when you sign on to do a story like that, you're really you know you're committing yourself. Even though it's a short fiction form, you got a lot of work to do. You know, so it's uh, it's very daunting, but at the same time, it's a fun process. Otherwise, I guess I wouldn't do it. Yeah, it must be. And I I got to say that that, you know, I, I, I love a lot of the stories in this collection. I'm you know, the first one, the races has a is like uh, a recording of some of our most dear memories with our old man. It's a you know, that one will always be close to my heart but it also works beautifully as a great story. Um, uh, you know, they're the small world stories, which are kind of about, you know, in a, in a weird kind of frightening metaphorical way about some of the struggles you've had as a writer. Those are interesting, but um, you know, that last, the story you met, the door in the air story, which is the final story in the collection. I've been saying this over and over, even you may be getting tired of hearing this, but, to me, that story is almost worth the price of the book right there. And there's an alchemy going on that I don't understand, that you probably don't understand. But, for you know, it's hard to express in words like the process you just mentioned. Yes, you can read articles. You can listen to recordings. You can, an idea can formulate in, in your mind. Um, but to translate that into imagined words and scenes and scenarios and dialogue, and make it work somehow. There's an alchemy to that that I I don't have. Most people on the planet don't have, and I don't know why you have it, but very few people have it. Uh, but you you nailed it, frankly. And that 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 story, door in the air. It's a it's a beautiful, very moving story that I think would surprise the hell out of a lot of people, frankly, who read it, especially knowing who you are. So. You know, uh, I I won't embarrass you further. Maybe we should just stop it there. But uh, obviously, as a reader, I highly recommend this collection. I hope some people who are hearing this might you know take a chance on it, check it out. Jude has many books that are available on on Amazon.com. Door in the Air is newly available there. Uh, whatever it costs, it's a bargain. I hope people will go and check it out. And um, I want to thank you for sharing some of your experiences and insights and putting it together and for putting it out there in general. Yeah. Thanks a lot, John. Like I appreciate y'all your close reading over many years and you know, your comments on the story collection, you know, I just say by way of conclusion, like when you take on some of those stories and you're working on them, you, well, you really feel like a fraud when you're, when you're doing those things. But I think there's something interesting enough in those subjects, whether I'm trying to, capture the experience of a young woman looking after babies in Africa or, you know, black baseball players or female veterans, none of which I have any business talking about, but you, you sort of feel compelled to try to do those subjects on her, you know, and give them the best that you can and try to represent them in a way that, you know, um, they could, you know, stand behind and that you could stand behind as a writer. So um, I appreciate all your comments on the book and, you know, I invite people to check it out. All right. Well, I hope we've represented your book in a way that um, that you're proud of and that, uh, you know, uh, you can stand behind. So that's our segment on Door in the Air, newly available on Amazon. We're going to take a quick break and then we're just going to talk about short stories in general and, you know, talk about some of the short story writers and maybe individual examples that we really have come to appreciate over the years. All right, can't wait.
All right. Jude, so for the broader part of this discussion, just talking about short fiction in general, I have kind of a setup question for you. All right. And you're not, All right. You're not on the hot seat here for this for this segment. So the, the rough part is over. But oh, good. <laughs> this is more just a, uh, kind of a discussion generator, let's say. So we've talked on this podcast before a little bit about the phenomenon that you sometimes hear about or see in reading circles that, you know, there are a lot of readers who, for whatever reason, you know, are, are more than willing to, to grab a novel and dive into it, but don't read a lot of short fiction. So, and we've, t- we've unpacked that a little bit, but I want to, I'm going to put you in a scenario. So let's say, you, you know, you and your wife have been invited to a local cocktail party, you know, assuming that we can all go back to something like that in the near future. And you get into a conversation with somebody there over your drinks and you realize you have a common ground. You both love, you know, reading fiction and maybe talk about some, you know, novels that you've both read and admired. And somehow it comes around to you ask, you ask this person about, uh, let's say a particular short story collection. And they say something like, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really bother with reading short stories. Not, not really sure why. Um, it's just not something I've ever really read. And so your job is to try to sell them on why they should read short fiction. You know, it's somebody that, you know, who enjoys reading, but you know, why they don't, why do they don't dive into in short stories? Uh, it's harder to say. So you don't have to, you know, go through this all the way to the end, but what would you try to say to, you know, sell somebody on why they should be reading short fiction and normally doesn't. As opposed to a novel, like they like fiction, but they, yeah, there's not into short fiction. Yeah, they may, they may write, they may read a lot of novels, but for whatever reason, they don't, they don't gravitate towards, you know, a collection of shorter tales or stories. Yeah. You know, it's a challenging question, you know, like, like what is it about novels that, that draws more than short fiction. And I know for my, for a fact, I mentioned it or I sort of brushed against it earlier, you know, as a younger reader, I was not as into short stories as into novels. Whereas now I get really excited about both of them, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I think what, I think shorts, I think in a, in a broad way, and I'd be interested to see how, you know, you would pick up on this question as well, since I've been doing a lot of talking, but in a broad way, you know, a novel is a much, a much more structured thing. I mean, not in every case, but in just kind of in general that tells this story that fits into, you know, kind of a vaguely recognizable form that gives you kind of, uh, you know, a particular set of circumstances at the beginning and then throws them out of whack and then uh, um, develops a story and characters over a certain amount of time and brings them together in a, in a satisfying conclusion towards the end one way or another and leaves you as if you've kind of consumed like a full meal in a way. But the yeah. short story is much more nebulous form, you know, yeah. something about its brevity makes it make opens it wider. You could take it in almost an infinite variety of directions and you could argue you could do the same thing with a novel, but like uh, with the short story space and you said it earlier, you know, it, it allows for more experimentation. Yeah. And I think, and again, I, I'm speaking in very broad terms, but you don't get as much resolution or like, you know, a satisfying arc of a story in a short story. 
you know, than you than you do in a novel. That's right. In a short story, you get kind of a fragment of life, or it's often more about a feeling or an one particular incident or one particular person, and just not you know, no incident. You're just following that person, or it's or in a lot of cases, it's a place. You know, that came into play very much with this story collection I'm fi- finishing up now. Kevin Barry's um, um, That Old Country Music. You know, the place is absolutely uh, prominent in this book of stories, maybe even more, for, more so than in his earlier short fiction works. So that makes them more difficult to know what to make of. You know, I'll leave it there because I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about the same question, unless you want to Ask me another question. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that was just a setup for our discussion. I don't have a whole long list of questions to ask you because I don't want to put you on the spot for the whole thing. But I was going to touch on, on something pretty similar, actually. And I guess it's an example of how our minds work the same way. But um, <laughs> yeah, two Virgils. There's, that's right. And there's something because I've been, you know, I, I mentioned I've been going back and to kind of prepare for this discussion. And I and I when we talked about having this discussion, I thought. I started figuring out what are some of my favorite short story collections that really made an impact on me. And I came up with a list of four or five right off the top of my head. And I went back and read about three of them and I may go back and read more. You know, there are some that I just didn't get a chance to read. Um, and you start to, you know, just kind of, I don't, I, I tend to, to veer wildly in my readings I've said. So I don't, I don't read like three in a row of one particular thing usually. I'll jump from a novel to a nonfiction to maybe a short story collection to a biography. And, and, you know, I just like to do that. So it's unusual for me to read like three or four short story collections in a row. But mm-hmm. when yeah. you do that, I made myself do that. When you do do that, you notice certain things about, about the form. And one of the things I, I noticed again, you know, I've noticed this in the past in my life, but just, you know, having read a whole bunch of them in a row is what you're saying is it, is that, one thing that marks a short story is, is you don't like in a novel, there's, you know, you kind of have that structure, like you talked about, you know, there's a beginning and, and a middle and an end. And there's usually some kind of satisfying conclusion that you're, or maybe not so satisfying, but there's a conclusion that you're moving towards and you can kind of sense, even if it's subconsciously, you can kind of sense the structure of it. You sort of have certain expectations along the way. You expect things to tie up at the end. A lot of times, you know, you hear people say in a novel that doesn't tie everything up in the end, they find that dissatisfying. But with short fiction, you just don't have the space to do all of that. So it's more about the setting. You said it. It's more about the setting and the mood. And there's something about, I realize there's something about the short form. I don't know how exactly how to say this, but it, but it, it, it kind of makes it, it's almost like a more emotional form of, writing or reading it taps into an emotional plane you know even more than you know a physical one or i don't really know how to say it it kind of uh you know uh, the brevity of it somehow makes it more about a feeling or an emotion or or a particular uh way of looking at the world than than you might necessarily feel uh, at the end of a novel, it's difficult to talk about. It's tricky. Um, yeah, and, and, but there's something about the, the, this form that really it tends to leave you 
in a little bit of a, the, the right word isn't limbo, but it kind of leaves you off before there's any kind of satisfying conclusion. And to me, for, for me as a reader, it just gets you thinking. It just gets you thinking about whatever emotional chord is being struck or whatever situation has been, you know, presented in the story. And you immediately kind of go from there and, and think along, like, what would I do? Or what if that were me? Or, or what, you know, that reminds me of this in my life, or I can relate to that feeling. There's something about the form that leaves you in that space at the end of a story that I find both kind of challenging as a person and interesting. You know, does that make any sense at all? Yeah, that's why they're so difficult to, to conclude, I think, when you're trying to create them, you know, because you have to know when to la- sort of leave off. And but you still kind of to use a metaphor, you know, maybe not a good one. You, you kind of leave enough line for the reader to kind of, you know, finish up the, <laughs> you know, finish up the job or whatever. I don't know how to say it, but, you know. And one example. So I, I read one of my favorite collections of short fiction is a, is a well-known book, an American classic, I guess you'd say, which is Winesburg, Ohio, written by Sherwood Anderson. First time I read it, it was assigned to me in like high school. I was like maybe ninth or 10th grade. And I thought it was the most <laughs> boring piece of parchment I'd ever, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but that's an entire, so, I mean, just briefly, all it is, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole series of short, very brief stories about different people who live in and around the town of Winesburg, Ohio. And this is, you know, in the early, I guess the early part of the, 20th century, but, you know, they tend to jump forward and back a little bit in time, but it's a very rural, small community somewhere in the vicinity of Cleveland, you know, in rural Ohio. But that entire book, all of the stories, there's just this undercurrent of uh, uh, longing and desires that usually aren't fulfilled and kind of jealousies and uh, emotional struggles that the characters have. There's so much going on in that book, but it's all under the surface. Every single story is about a different character in the town, but you start to see how these characters relate to each other, you know, both literally, they may be relations and also how they interact. And you get this kind of mosaic, very, you know, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it, you know, this complex portrait of what it was like to live in a small town at that time and you know the isolation of that they weren't near any major cities and how um there's one young writer who kind of weaves through all the stories and he uh he's just the whole through the whole book he's just trying to find a way to get out of Winesburg Ohio but for some reason you know that they're all just very brief kind of fragments they don't they don't each one doesn't add up to a whole lot but when you put them together it's this incredibly complex, emotional portrayal of a whole community that I find very, very interesting and very satisfying. So that's mm-hmm. that's one example. That's a book that I went back and, and reread, and I think it was my third time reading it. And it's just so psychologically complex that I, I just can't help but admire it. Yeah. Right. And it- there was something about the way that and I've only read it once, but there's something about the way those stories were written and, you know, were crafted in a particular way. Like he, he wrote 
in in a way that left those that gave you the sense of those feelings, but didn't really doesn't really spell them out. It just kind of sets things up enough so that you can kind of feel the rumblings underneath each one. And that's what I remember from. And I don't remember any details from me. I read it years ago. I only read it once. But I do remember what you're describing, which is like this undercurrent of, you know, a strange brew of emotions. Uh, Many of them sort of desires or things unfulfilled, as you were describing. Yeah. The rumbling underneath this small town. And then you kind of realize as you're reading it that it could, you know, one of the things that was so compelling about it is it could stand in for any small town, you know, in a nation like ours, you know, or maybe anywhere. Right. You know, in the world. And you you really had that, and it it's like it, it forms some kind of like you know, you're right. It's hard to hard to describe these things without sounding silly, but it forms this kind of undercurrent, and you kind of literally ride on that sucker, like the, the the literally ride on the current through the whole collection. You kind of feel yourself sort of floating on it. You know, it's it's strange. Yeah, and that that's a, I find that to be a very haunting book too because he uh, there's so it's like a little bit like that Hemingway I can't remember exactly you know, I think he was talking about writing and he's you know I'm going to butcher this but something about how you know good writing will just give you the you know the top very very tip of the iceberg but that you, you can sense the whole iceberg underneath the surface you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and short stories in general kind of function like that but this book in particular. I mean, the, the opening story is called Hands, and it's about uh, an old kind of recluse, a character in the town. And the young writer, the young man who's a writer, he's also he writes. He's the only writer on the local paper. He kind of like goes and visits this guy, and he does. This guy does these weird gestures and kind of like fidgeting with his hands, and that's why it's called Hands, I guess. But you get this in very you know succinct little details. You get this whole backstory about how. He used to work with young children, and I guess he was accused at one point of abusing the young children, and that kind of drove him into exile. And he's just this old man kind of muttering to himself and doing things with his hands. And it has this very dark undercurrent to it. But, man, I mean, there's that's kind of an example. Like, there's, there's so much going on under the surface of these stories that you just, it just gives you enough to kind of think about. You don't know whether the this old man did anything wrong but you do know his life is kind of ruined and he's just living as you know on his own alone out on the outskirts of town and there's so much to like you know dig into that it's just fascinating you know uh but the book can get quite dark it's not you know you think of like older american classics as being you know sort of buttoned up or whatever but this book gets you know it really plums into some not easy you know human emotions so that's and that's what short fiction can do when it's at when it's at its best. But uh, anyway, not to go too long about that. What what were some what are some of your favorite collections, or what are what are some of the short story writers or or books that popped into your your mind when we were talking about having this discussion? Well, it's funny because I was like, I didn't prepare in the same way you did at all um, for for a number of reasons. So I didn't really sit down and make a list of anything. You know, um, and I knew when I got asked a question like that, I would just completely blank. I'm like, you know, but I but I can uh, I can talk about certain writers, though, and maybe a couple of collections, um, sure. you know, but, you know, they're going to again, like, you know, like the, the type of story even that we're talking about so far is kind of one side of it. But I mean, the short story format is so much more 
open-ended than the novel. I mean, it can go all over the place, right? So, like, one of my favorite collections of stories has got to be Night Shift by Stephen King. I talked about it in Tales of Terror, you know? Yeah. But those stories are ridiculous. Those are That's like genre work, and it's a whole different ball of wax, you know? But, um, but even in – they're just a lot of fun. But even in, even in that collection, there are some stories that are very strange and bizarre and don't even make a whole lot of sense. Then there are other stories that are more conventional and do have a kind of a, a plot within them and end with a kind of banger at the end. You know, and I find that very impressive when somebody can actually have a story that's not very open ended, but have a, you know, a little arc within that story and then end it in a particular way that that is satisfying, you know. But um, but a lot of other short story writers that I, I admire a lot don't really work in that way. Like, um, you know, writers like Flannery O'Connor, you know, like uh, A Good Man is Hard to Find is a very, you know, famous short story collection. But that's one of like a, a seminal collection for me, for sure. Yeah. You know, and her stories are much more difficult to figure out. But they're also, like we mentioned earlier, very much about place, you know, and what wh- where they're happening. Mm-hmm. Jim Shepard, as we discussed in our one, uh, you know, Dealer's Choice episode where we really got into some of his work, is another example of a short story writer that I admire a lot who can take on literally any subject, you know, and then draw a compelling uh, short story out of that. Um, but then there are other, some of the really, some of the, the greatest short story writers that are the most acclaimed are sort of masters of giving you only very small details and leaving you kind of not much, you know, or, or weaving a story out of not a whole lot of elements and kind of leaving you at the end to figure out for yourself what their stories are really about or what they're trying to say about life or humanity. And I'm talking about people like Chekhov, you know, or um, Alice Monroe from Canada or William, William Trevor from Ireland, you know, they, they were masters who wrote story after story that had just like little vignettes that the ending of which left you in a place where you were kind of scratching your head, you know, yeah, and trying to figure out. But those are the stories like when you really read them and you really study them, th- those are the stories where the writer really seems to know their place or their people. And you feel like you are being educated in some way not so much about one particular topic, but just about like what it is to be human, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, so, I mean, it's all over the place. So um, those are some examples, but what are other story collections that, that you would cite? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Some of, some of what, it, it just makes me realize that, you know, there, first of all, the short story it's such a broad topic. I mean, there, you realize there, there, there are many different, there are all kinds of different types of short stories that have almost have different aims, whether they're conscious or not, but like some are just, you know, pure entertainment, like what Stephen King is doing in night shift or the, or the collection you just read, which is called invaders that uh, yeah, right. Oh, I know about it. Cause I gave it to you and it's all, you know, they're all stories that have to do with uh, invaders from space, you know, aliens in one way or another. Um, but some stories like, um, one of my, I told my wife about, you know, this topic and, and she immediately said, well, I know who I would cite and one, her, one of her favorite writers is Leo Tolstoy and Leo Tolstoy writes stories that are more like fables and they, in the sense that they almost have a moral to them. 
you know, like, mm-hmm. like how much ma- land does a man need, you know, is a, is a, is a great example. And there are many others, but, you know, so his intent was to kind of, you know, create a tale, but have almost like a moral punch at the end of it. He was trying to like teach you a lesson. Whereas somebody like Flannery O'Connor, you mentioned, She's not trying to do that so much, and many people have talked about this, but she, you know, she she write, wrote about, you know, uh, the people who lived in the region where she lived her whole life, and that's the, uh, you know, the Deep South, and it's mostly Protestant, and she was sort of observing and sometimes even poking fun at the people that, that lived in, in her um, environment, but uh, she was very serious about the story she wrote and what she's trying to do is lead up to some kind of moment of breakthrough or it's been called epiphany or a moment of grace, you know, that the characters would have where like, you know, the momentarily like the scales would come from their eyes and they would realize something about, you know, the world as it is their own nature or spiritual nature of the world. They would have this kind of epiphany moment briefly and she, I think, was very consciously, you know, that was something that she liked to do with her short stories. Well, that's obviously not what Stephen King's trying to do with the story about, you know, <laughs> a, a laundry machine that mangles people, you know, like, <laughs> right? they're very different, you know, types. And, and they're also like Winesburg, Ohio, for whatever reason, I tend, you know, some of my favorites tend to be, my favorite collections tend to be, you know, ones that give you these these vignettes of a certain community or place like you were saying and and it'll focus on different characters but when you get to the end when you read them all kind of together you get this very kind of rich portrait of a, of a certain region and what's going on under the surface in that region a book that I just reread recently that you know that I admire quite a lot is called American Salvage by a, a woman writer named Bonnie Jo Campbell who lives in rural Michigan and she writes about people in rural Michigan and um, she writes about farming. She writes about people who are addicted to methamphetamine. Um, And it's just this uh, really kind of bracing and raw. uh, This book, American Salvage is kind of this raw look at, you know, what life is really like up there. And she writes very effectively and compassionately about people who are, lack of a better word, poor or uneducated mm-hmm. or just, you know, can't make ends meet. And, and it's, it's, it's unsparing. You know, these are, a lot of these stories get pretty ugly, but she's giving you life as she observes it around her. And it's very powerful to kind of, you know, uh, get immersed in something like that. Um, and another famous collection of stories that came to my mind are by a young man who uh, only wrote one collection, unfortunately, took his own life and he his name was Brees pancake and yeah but he's known in the writing world as Brees dj d apostrophe j pancake and that came from a typo somebody made about his name you know and he just kind of did but he wrote this one you know short collection of stories of people who live in west virginia but and it's immensely powerful and every one of those stories is just poetic and beautiful, but often hard. You know, one of the stories is called A Room Forever. And it's just, it's about a young man who's just kind of down on his luck. 
and he um, gets a hotel room in, a, in kind of a, a beat up river town. And he ends up kind of walking the streets and, you know, bringing a young girl home with him. But they, they, you know, they don't have sex or anything like that. They just end up, he just kind of ends up talking to her. But there's so much longing and, and uh, sad beauty in that story. I've, you know, I read it once. I've never forgotten it. And that's actually Mark Knopfler wrote a song about it. His song River Towns was influenced oh, wow. by that exact story. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's another collection where it just brings this incredibly powerful sense of place that, you know, is just very different from where I live or what my experience has been. And I just appreciate that about it because it immerses you in something very particular and yet it taps into emotions that everybody feels and the best writers can do that in a very, in, in a memorable way that just lingers in your mind or subconscious, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have like just other writers, you know, because again, it just runs a gamut. You have other writers who you just like, you know, they write stories that, you know, you, you almost, you don't know what, what the hell they're talking about or whether, you know, what, where they're coming from. They're so experienced people like HP Lovecraft, you know, or, or, um, or, um, even somebody like Philip K. Dick in the science fiction genre, you know, like he wrote tons of short stories with the bizarre, you know, uh, narcotics and like, you know, people sh shifting identities and switches in time. And, uh, one of his stories, it wasn't a story, it was a novel, but one of his stories was about, all the characters moved in reverse. So they were when you're born and you come out of your grave <laughs> and then you go backwards, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, or even somebody like Haruki Murakami from Japan, who's come up here or there, like, and his short fiction can be really weird. Like I remember he has a story called the little green monster, which is literally about somebody whose environment is invaded by a little green monster, you know, <laughs> and, it just, and it just ends up in this totally weird place that, completely inconclusive and you're like what the hell was that <laughs> yeah. you know and uh you know and that's very different from some of these writers like o'connor or brief pancake or even somebody like eudora welty or um uh bonnie joe campbell who wrote um american salvage that you feel like they're kind of ambassadors in a way for a certain region or a certain way of life or they're the kind of writers that we really count on to capture, you know, unseen lives for us, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it really exquisite and telling detail. So it's all over the place, you know, and, and the experience can be so different from one collection to the next, or even within one collection from a really diverse writer that, you know, the whole form keeps you kind of hooking and jabbing. That's one of the things about it that people either like, or they don't like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, so many short stories just do different things. Sometimes, you know, the best short stories, they end on, on a note of real either emotional punch that really, you know, wrenches you, or sometimes it's just a, a grace note, like a note of beauty. Like, do you remember the, um, I was going to say famous, it's famous to us, but one of the, one of the short story writers that you and I both admire just a ton is not read probably not as well known as he should be. And his name is Tim Gautreau and he, he's from way down in Louisiana. Yeah. And gosh, the name of the story is escaping me right now, but you, you remember the story about the old antique uh, 
uh, I think it was a sewing machine and it had that last, that, that incredible last line about the dolphin. What was the name of that story? The story is called the safe. Yeah. Okay. The safe S A F E. Yeah. The safe is, um, that springs to mind because it has, you know, it's just, it's basically a story. I believe you correct me if I'm wrong about a guy who's a collector and he finds this old, very antique, um, sewing machine that he that is beautifully described. He just finds it incredibly beautiful. And um, gosh, I'm not remembering it entirely now, but somehow he ends up acquiring it, right? And and at the very end of the story, and it has this ornate kind of uh, it's like carved in a certain way. I can't remember what it's what it's um, what it's made out of, but it has this kind of leaping dolphin on it, and it, the last lines something like. You know, he reached out and he and he touched the dolphin, and the dolphin swam in his hand, or something like that. Right, right, right. But it, it just has this. It, it's all it is is a story about this object. But the way it's described, it becomes a much broader, you know, just a beautiful kind of meditation on on art, on creating something beautiful, and on appreciating something that has its own beauty. Um, and in fact, I think you weren't you were so moved by the story that you actually wrote to him, didn't you? And he wrote back. I did, yeah. Yeah, I did, yeah. And he and he wrote me back. Yeah, this was years ago because it showed up in a magazine. You know, I think it was the Atlantic or something like that. Yeah, you want to and, talk about your experience with it a little bit because it's such an incredible story. It's I, I just feel like it's a great example of, of what a short story can do sometimes, it's just, just kind of knock you over. Yeah, it did. It really did knock me over. I believe I read it and shared it with you, but and we both had admired him. You turned me on to Tim Gautreaux. I know that because uh, you had found the his story collection called Same Place, Same Things, which is a great book. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we saw the name. I read the story, and it like, and it was just. It, it is a great example because it all it was. It, so it was called the safe, and the process. The 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 chal- or the struggle in the story was there. They the guy found the safe was trying to get it open. And so, um, because it was like a real old safe. I called it a sewing machine. Why? But no, no, no. The sewing machine was in the safe. Oh, so it was like, uh, it was like if, if I, if I remember correctly, but the whole, it's a, it's a great example, John. I know you feel like, you know, you're, you're not remembering certain details and I don't remember all of them either, but it's still a great example because it's like, it was just a a story about a guy in an obscure town who had an, driving some obscure trade who finds this safe and can't get it open. But the way, and it was, again, this is in a condensed space, but the way the story was being told, you're just trying, you know, Tim Gautreaux built it in such a way so skillfully that you sort of joined along as the reader. You were like, like the guy in the story, you wanted to see what the hell was in that safe. And then, and, but they couldn't get it open. And then when, when whatever it was that was in that safe comes out, it's got to pay off. You know, that's right. In an effective story, and it ended up being this sewing machine, and you're like, "What? The, oh man, you know that sucks." Until you get to the end of the story, but the way it's described, you know, and this was just the purely the beauty. I can't think of another word. It was the beauty of the last paragraph, you yeah. know, about this weird mechanism, antique mechanism, obviously created by hand by people who cared about their work, you know was this like seascape kind of thing with a dolphin rising on a wave somehow with the plunge of the needle or something. And the way Gautreaux wrote about it, I would encourage people to check it out if they can find it. Cause I think it was in one of his other collections. Um, the, 
I got all I know is I got to the end and I got I got to that line where the dolphin swam in his palm and the story was over and I thought that was magnificent, you know? Yeah. And I I I knew he was, you know, there's something about I we knew he taught at a school or something. I don't know why I did this, but like for, for some, I thought I was so blown away by the story. I just wrote I found his address at the school he was teaching and I wrote him and he and he wrote me back. I might still have a hard copy. It was very brief, but it was kind of like, you know. I'm just really glad that you were moved by that story or sort of thing. And thank you for sharing that with me or something like that, you know? Yeah. But I, it's a great example. I remember he, he said one or two lines about, cause you had commented on, on, on the story somehow. And he, he I, I don't remember what he said, but he said some, one or two lines about, you know, what he was trying to achieve in the story or what sometimes stories can do if you, if you allow them to, or, you, you know, I don't remember. He, he said something interesting in, in his response to you about um, what some of the best fiction can do, which is really what we're trying to get at here. But anyway. Yeah, if I'd done my homework, I would re- remember that story, number one, and I would have found the email and shared it with the listeners, but I don't have that. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, it just came to me just now, but in talking about all this. But uh, anyway, I mean, there's so... Gosh, I, I mean, there's so many great examples of short story collections that I've read over the years or that I would want to recommend to people. You know, we've mentioned a lot. We've mentioned on this show a number of times the collection Jesus's Son by Dennis Johnson, which is, that's a whole other type of, you know, it's very, you know, with the, uh, <laughs> talked about it before, you know, the this like kind of drug-addled young guy who's kind of wanders through all the stories and, and he goes, you know, he, he's, his only name is Fuckhead. <laughs> but there's something about you know those stories are very you know uh haunting and and they sometimes they're really darkly funny and it's just there's nothing uh, there's nothing quite like that collection i mean it's just really bizarre but powerful um and then we talked we did a whole episode on jim shepherd and what his how powerful his short fiction is i mean he writes novels as well but he's well known for the short short stories. Um, Tobias Wolf is another incredible short story writer. I mean, his debut collection, which was called, I think, uh, In the Garden of North American Martyrs, I believe, was one of his short story collections. It's an incredible book. You know, I have a whole, yeah. I have a whole omnibus of short stories that he's written and every single one of them is valuable. And um, Annie Pruel is another one we talked about. You know, you just read one of her novels, but she she uh, has three collections of short stories that were all set in Wyoming, some of which are just stunning. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I had time to go into or could remember. You know, the most famous one, of course, now is Brokeback Mountain. And that, too, is a great example of what short fiction can do. Because here's a, you know, this is a story about two cowboys who, who uh, you know, unexpectedly to them, you know, kind of fall in love with each other. They're both married. And, you know, frankly, that that whole realm of experience is very far away from where I am in my life. But she has the skill and the capability. She she immerses you in in that in that situation and how incredibly difficult it is for them to be find themselves in that situation. And they don't know what to do about it. And it kind of it's torturous for them. And you feel that at every page of that story. And just to be able to do that and, you know, allow you to inhabit these other lives and empathize with the characters, kind of feel like to some degree that the gut-wrenching emotions that they're feeling is really remarkable. 
part of that alchemy that I was talking about before. Are you still there? Hey, man, can you hear me all right? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. As of right now, we had a little bit of a technical glitch there, I guess. Um, but we were getting towards the end of our discussion on short stories anyway. So maybe that was the universe telling us we needed to wrap things up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anything you want to say, just kind of in conclusion on that topic, and then we'll kind of move on to, to our next episode and all that? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, you were talking a little bit about Brokeback Mountain, and I think that's just a really good example of of one of the, uh, uh, the short story writer's tools, which is to try to sort of evoke empathy in the reader and uh, by putting the reader in the shoes of another individual. And Brokeback Mountain is a story that seems to effectively do that. I haven't read that story. Um, so that's just a good example of that. Um, are you still hearing me? I hear you. Yep. And then, uh, I, you know, we'll wrap it up, but I was just thinking about other, um, short fiction writers and story collections that have impressed me. And one of them was, I'll go back to the beginning. Cause I was talking about Kevin Barry, who's a great novelist and a short story writer. And like I said, he's just come out with his third collection. And his first two collections are really good also. The, the, the first one is called There, there Are Little Kingdoms. And then he wrote another one called um, Dark is the Island, you know, which yeah, I've only read. read. I read Dark is the Island. And I read the first one. I've only read a couple from Dark is the Island. But this new story collection he has out called That Old Country Music is really interesting because it's like it's really – it really captures, and this might be a uniquely Irish gift, but if so, it's really elevated in the work of Kevin Barry, where there's this whole, almost the most important thing in the stories is this feeling of the, the location. Like when they, and these stories mostly take place in the West of Ireland. And he has this way of writing about the West of Ireland that just evokes things out of your kind of consciousness or your soul or whatever, you know, just by the way he creates uh, sentences on the page and I'm just going to read a one sentence. You don't need any context. It's just an example of how great short, short story writers can, uh, you know, set you in a particular location and then give you a real feeling of that location when you don't, with lines that you don't necessarily even understand. They kind of go right into your, the core of you in a way and just pull out a sense of what this place is like. And here's a mm. great example and it's from a story called That Old Country Music. It's the title story. Of, and it, I'm just reading along and I come across a sentence like this. And to me, this is kind of the, the art of short story writing. Um, it just says, Catastrophe was a low-slung animal creeping darkly over the ditches across the hills. <laughs> you know? And that and sentences like that are all over this book, and it gives you this flavor of, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever's going on in that place, you know, that you feel like it's like you read something like that and you go like, yeah, that sounds like that place that he's describing all right. But well, you don't even really know what that means, you know. Like, you know, it, it just feels right. It touches something sort of um, almost primal in the reader. And I think yeah. that, that kind of skill is – is both amazingly impressive and extremely difficult to develop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so true, man. That, wow. Yeah. Sometimes a sen uh, in great short stories in particular, you know, sense there's sentences that just kind of stop you in your tracks. 
Yeah. And that's an example. Like catastrophe is an animal. Slinging it. it doesn't make, you know, on the base level, it doesn't make sense, but on the gut level, it does make sense, you know, and I've right. never even been to those hills. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, like the line. And it's, I don't think it's a short story actually, but uh, from Flannery O'Connor that, you know, very well, it was like, Jesus was a ragged figure, you know, shuffling from tree to tree in the back of his mind. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah. Like somebody who just is haunted by Jesus Christ, you know, and right. that's a, a, you know, a primary image in the work of Flannery O'Connor for sure. Right. And you're just like, what does that mean? But yet it doesn't, doesn't matter. The specifics don't matter. Just the feeling is right somehow. You know, <laughs> right. Or just the, the, sim, the, the simile that Flannery O'Connor uses in Wise Blood, where she, in a similar way, she's got another character, and you know this one very well, too. Another character has uh, Jesus buried in his head like a stinger, you know? That's right. That's right. So, anyway. Yeah. Well, there's something, uh, there's something immensely powerful about the short story form when it's done well. And we've unpacked a lot of reasons why, whether it's a, a tool for empathy or it's just something it's somehow able to evoke emotions that longer fictions often, you know, it's not that they don't evoke emotions as well, but they do it in a particular way that can be very almost mysterious and alchemical, as I said. So uh, right. anyway, it's been interesting diving into it with you. I wish you all the best of luck, of course, with your new collection. I, again, I hope, I hope, uh, a whole bunch of readers check it out and you get some feedback from it. And, uh, you know, we'll take a quick break. Then we'll come back and talk a little bit about what we're going to read next and tease our episode 22. And that'll be it. All right. That works. So we typical, typically, you know, kind of wrap up our, our episodes by talking about first about um, what it is that we plan on reading next and then um, giving a little teaser for the next episode of the book exchange. So, Jude, do you have something on deck that you're going to be reading after whatever you're reading now? Yeah, I kind of can't wait. I'm, I'm excited about this. So uh, I've been meaning to do this for a while, but I've, I've um, I have the sense of nostalgia for like the uh, the the big novels that were written in like the seventies and eighties that they kind of don't make them or even the fifties and sixties, they kind of don't make them that way anymore. <laughs> and uh, every once in a while, I think about going back to, to a big book from like another era when, you know, the, the literary landscape was completely different. So I'm actually going to reread a book that I read. Oh man. Maybe when I was in my early twenties um, from a writer who was prominent in the seventies and eighties guy by the name of Leon Uris. U-R-I-S, and I'm, I'm going to read his novel called The Hajj. Uh, Leon Uris is most famous for his novel Exodus because he was a Jewish writer, and he wrote a novel uh, dramatizing 
the inception and the uh, the rise of the state of Israel in mm. the middle of the 20th century and, uh, you know, gave it a very sort of epic and dramatic sweep. And then he wrote a lot of books that were epic. And one of our favorite novels, John Trinity, which is about Ireland. Um, but he kind of wrote these big, fat books, you know, with very dramatic twists and turns. And uh, one of the books he wrote, which I think is very admirable, he was, uh, like I said, a Jewish man. And one of his big projects was to take a look at the whole centuries-old conflict between the Arabs and the Jews. And he wrote a novel from the perspective of the Arab side. And it's called mm. The Hajj. And The Hajj is H-A-J. Uh, uh, and uh, Hajj is the journey that a young, a young person makes, a young Muslim makes to um, Mecca, you know, in order to uh, worship there. And um, anyway, this book came out in the early 80s, and it's kind of a wide-scoped, dramatic look at the conflict between Arab and Jews, Arabs and Jews. So that's what I'm reading next. How about you? And you're right. I mean, it says something about Urus and the, the kind of person, kind of writer kind of person he is, that he would take out, you know, write a whole big novel from the point of view of, you know, the quote-unquote, you know, if not the enemy, the opposite side of, of that conflict since he's, since he's, uh, of Israeli extraction, you know, or, or a Jew by, uh, by blood and by culture. So that's, that's really an interesting choice right there. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's going to be good. I remember, you know, enjoying a lot of his novels and we went through a whole phase, as you said, of reading a lot of them and he's got a lot of good ones. QB seven is a great, you know, kind of courtroom thriller. Yeah. Um, Mila 18, which is an incredible book about the, the Warsaw uprising the Warsaw ghetto mm -hmm. um, during world war two. So, you know, against the Nazi. So he has a number of really great books along with Trinity, of course, about Ireland. So next book I'm going to read, I mentioned it. I believe I mentioned it on the last episode. I was kind of waffling. I said, I might read it. I'm, I'm going to end up reading it now. And that's a book called the big goodbye, which is about the making of the film Chinatown and kind of about the ways in which it changed Hollywood while it was being made and then it's, you know, it's reception and it's, it's since, you know, it's become a, a widely recognized classic. But as I said before, it's a tr tremendously dark film, but a, but a brilliant one. And um, I just think there's, there's, you know, if I love the, I love the movie Chinatown and I, 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 uh, uh, I admire not as a person for sure, but as a filmmaker, the work of uh, Roman Polanski, I think he's made a lot of incredible movies. So it'll be interesting to kind of dive into that. And it's just going to be something very much different than what I've been reading lately. So that's what I like to do. So I'll let you know what that's like. Yeah. I love that one. That's going to be wild. Yeah. That should be a lot of fun. So that brings us to the end of the show where we kind of tease uh, our next episode. That'll be episode 22. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave the honors to you there. Do you, how about you tell our listeners what we're going to be doing for the next episode? All right. Yeah, well, this is going to be exciting, although we're coming into this kind of a, a little bit kicking and screaming in a way. <laughs> but it's exciting in the sense that we're going to do we've been meaning to do this again. And we did earlier on in the, the history of the show, we did an episode uh, called that we called Dealer's Choice, where we broke down the work of just one writer. I think that was episode 13. I, I might be wrong about that. Or 12. But anyway, we do you remember? No, I, I I said that sounds about right. Uh, it was yeah, Jim Shepard. Yeah. I remember that. 
Right, right. It was Jim Shepard, and we talked a lot about his work. And uh, he's somebody that we easily could have talked uh, even more about today as a short story writer. And the same thing applies to who we're going to take on in episode 22. So um, episode 22, we're going to do our second dealer's choice. And uh, like I said, we, we kind of come in a little bit kicking and screaming. Our subject is a writer named T.C. Boyle or T. Carragason Boyle, if you want to get uh, technical. And we've talked about him many times over the course of history of this show. But we haven't and we decided let's just get it out of the way and, and dive into his work and talk about him. But, I, you know, on the serious note, it's going to be interesting because I think Boyle has earned, you know, a deep dive. He's one of our most celebrated American, I would say, mainstream literary writers. And he's one of our most prolific literary writers. They certainly don't make it make them like T.C. Boyle anymore. He's in his 70s by now, but he's been writing very consistently and very rapidly since the uh, late seventies. And he's one of the few American writers or novelists anywhere or writers anywhere in fiction who can say this. He's, he's got over 20 novels and I think he's either just getting to over 20 or approaching over 20 short fiction collections also, which is unbelievable. Even, even over the course of four decades, um, so he's an extremely prolific writer whose short stories alone dabble into many, many different subjects. So we're going to get into his work. But also, you know, I have to say, like, he's been the source of a lot of uh, pretty rich debate between John and I over the years. We definitely have different viewpoints on his work. And his his catalog is so broad that, you know, I would say, and you can ring in in a minute, but I would say, like, you know, his work diverse div, diverges even within itself between like some really brilliant books and some real clunkers, you know? And um, anyway, there's plenty to go on there. And we thought, you know, he's come up so much and he could have come up a ton today, but I deliberately didn't, didn't bring him up or his 20 story collections. I mean, uh, uh, because I knew we were going to be getting into him in this episode, but I mean, this is a guy who, and he's not slowing down. The next year coming up, I know for a fact he's got two books coming out in 2021. Um, his next novel is coming out in April, and then there's another story collection called I Walk Between the, Rain- the Raindrops, which follows in October of 2021. So amazingly prolific, amazingly energetic writer, T.C. Boyle. Uh, you got anything you want to say about that? Well, I mean, it's like you said, there's just a, a crap ton of material that can be dived into. So that's number one. That kind of makes him a good subject, I guess, for for this kind of an episode. Um, yeah, Jude and I have been kind of debating him for, gosh, 20 years or so. Um, and he's Jude's read a lot more of T.C. Boyle than I have. And what I have read, you know, I've read some short stories, I've read some novels. And so he's, you know. You're going to have to take the lead a little bit on it, at least in terms of being the subject matter expert. But um, he's he's written about so much that there's just going to be a lot lot to dive into. I think it's going to be fun, and it's also going to potentially bring up some disagreement. So that's always fun for our listeners, you know. Right. Hash that out a little bit. So yeah, it should be another good one. So I'm looking forward to that discussion, and I think that brings us to the end of this discussion. So, dude, again, I want to thank you for stepping onto the stage or uh, into the spotlight a little bit. I know that's not the normal role that you have here on the podcast. So 
good job enduring that. And uh, I hope listeners enjoyed this discussion on the short story. And more importantly, I hope uh, listeners will go out and uh, take on some some uh, more short stories or new ones that they haven't tried and see what see what there is to you know dive into there in terms of a whole other area of fiction. So I think that that's about it. Unless you have anything else you want to add, uh, we'll end it there. I just want to thank everybody for considering uh, my book, Door in the Air, which has just come out. I want to thank you, John, for your questions and for reading the book. And yeah, lastly, I would just encourage readers to check out more short fiction and short stories. It's great form, a lot of riches there. Uh, Another good episode. So thanks a lot, John. All right, Jude. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. And um, all of you. Uh, we will talk to you very soon for when we get back for another episode of the book exchange. Take it easy. Bye-bye.